Welcome to the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers, Faculty of British Columbia podcast. We are a diverse coalition of Asian Canadian legal professionals. We promote equity, justice, and opportunity for Asian Canadian legal professionals and the community. We foster advocacy, community involvement, legal scholarship, and professional development. The purpose of this podcast highlights the diverse and unique members of our community. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Today we have with us James Shu. James is an employment lawyer at Porta Law. You may remember his voice from season one, episode eight of our podcast, where he interviewed his brother Albert Klein. James was a former director of Faculty BC, where he chaired the membership committee from 2020 to 2021. We've invited James onto our podcast today because of his unique career path to date. James articled and practiced at Blake's as a litigation lawyer before he pivoted into corporate and employment law at MEP Business Council. James subsequently went in-house to become the director of legal at an e-commerce technology company. After working at that company, James took nearly nine months off before he joined his current firm. Outside of work, James volunteers with Access Pro Bono and is a member of the Young Professionals Committee at Jewish Family Services. And with me today is Abby. Hi everyone, it's Abby from Illuma Family Law. You've heard me on the podcast before and I'm here again with Fiona to interview James this time. Thank you both for having me. Uh, very excited to be here. First off, Abby, I mentioned to you that I listened to your episode as preparation and it's awesome to be able to sit with you here now. You set the bar very high. And then Fiona, just a big congrats. I co-chaired the membership committee back when the podcast was starting and you've done incredible things. The podcast getting nominated for awards. Thank uh, you, James. <laughs> and finally, this is a good lesson in shameless promotion. A while back on my spotlight, I called out that Fackle hadn't had me back on their podcast since I was uh, on it previously, and here I am. So get out there and, and call people out publicly on the internet. Yeah, no, we're very excited to have you back. And for our members who don't know what the Spotlight series is, it's a series that we feature current and past faculty BC members who are diverse members of our legal community from month to month. And so every month we usually feature one to two. James was part of our Spotlight series, so thank you. Now let's jump into a little icebreaker question. So James, what's your favorite Asian food? (laughs) This is a tough one. I'm going to say probably barbecue pork. And that's a dangerous answer for me. For those of you who know me, know that I'm also Jewish, and so my mother probably doesn't want to hear this. Um, (laughs) But I wear my Chinese hat when eating it. And so, yeah, definitely barbecue pork in all of the different variations and buns and rolls that it comes in. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So as we mentioned earlier in the introduction, like James, you've had a very interesting trajectory and a very unique career path. And one of the things that stood out to me when we were preparing for this episode today is the fact that you took a bit of time off between your most current employer as well as the e-commerce technology company that you worked for. And so I'm curious if you're able to share with us why did you decide to take this break and what did you do during that time? I definitely didn't plan on taking a nine-month break at that company that I was previously working at in-house. It wasn't quite the right fit for me, kind of the pace and the nature of the work wasn't quite aligned with how I wanted to be working and, and living my life. And so I took a break and the advice that I received during that time period was you need a lot longer than you think, both mentally and also physically. It's really hard work trying to figure out what you want to do next and being able to step forward with uncertainty, knowing that you're moving forward in some direction is really helpful because not doing anything is a decision in and of itself. And and Mm -hmm. so 
And if I could add on to that, I also do see courage in resting. So something that someone else from Fakul actually gave me as a piece of advice is to look at my situation as if I'm in a snow globe. And he told me to actually wait for the snow to settle. And then I'll have clarity on the path that I'm pursuing moving forward. Yeah, but that's another piece of advice that I've received that I thought was very beautiful and I would love to share. That is, that is a good piece of advice. It's very, <laughs> that's very beautiful. I, I, I never got anything in such imagery. To just go off of that, when I was taking my break, there was a lot of pressure, even if you weren't doing work things, to be, how are you making the most of this? Mm -hmm. What incredible big trips are you going on? What are all the cool things you're doing? What's all the personal and professional development you're doing? Part of taking a break is actually taking that break and recharging, and it's hard to do that Mm -hmm. when there's that external pressure and for me there was a lot of internal pressure well I didn't even relax as much as I should have today um, <laughs> and if I'm not even gonna relax well what am I doing here and so it took some time for me to really have a shift where I was okay and comfortable having a day that I did sleep in and I didn't view my day as productive or not productive mm-hmm. it was very much this is what I did. And part of that was I did a little bit of personal moral licensing to do whatever else I wanted to do in the interim, including which I think this is a shout out to lawyers who have partners or family members or other people in their lives. When we're working in our practices, life gets really, really busy and that can be quite demanding. And, And so something that was really gratifying for me when I was off was being able to be a better partner and family member and friend when I had occasionally been off the map due to work. And as a follow-up question, I'm curious, like, during that time, did you contemplate at all about leaving the practice of law like your brother did? And if you did contemplate that, what made you ultimately decide to stay and remain in the practice of law? Short answer, definitely and completely thought about leaving law. And I was encouraged by a couple folks to go through some legal coaching. And so I'm definitely going to put a shameless plug in here (laughs) for Paula Price and her coaching. I worked with her during my time off and it was absolutely fantastic and highly recommend working with her. And, and one of the learnings that I had through working with Paula was identifying what it was about the practice of law that I did enjoy and looking at what's left over. Is there a career in law that works for you? And it was kind of funny how life works out because the weekend before I accepted a job with Porta Law, I was actually slated to start work or accept another job outside of law, Mm -hmm. in a law-adjacent role with an institution in their respect and diversity role. Okay, so you did legal coaching with Paula, and Paula made you reflect and ask yourself the critical questions of what about the practice of law excites you, makes you want to stay, and then on the other hand, what about the practice of law makes you want to leave? And so you were saying that there was a DEI role that you were supposed to start, and then you ultimately turned it down, so why did you end up choosing Port of Law over that role? One of the things that I learned in terms of evaluating what a career in law could mean came down to control and autonomy, to be honest. And if you know me socially, what you do, I like to throw parties Mm -hmm. and I like to bring people together. And one of the reasons I like to throw the party is because I can include as many people as I want and can kind of set the theme. And so that really became the less serious but more serious mantra of thinking about my career is instead of going to other people's parties, how about I threw my own and took a bit more control. Unlike Abby, I'm not quite as entrepreneurial and courageous. (laughs) And so for me, finding an opportunity at Port of Law where 
I was able to have agency and control over my practice mm-hmm. without necessarily being an owner of a business was a fantastic step to stay in law. And so the firm is very open to my feedback and open to how I want to work and, and, and collaborate together while at the same time they're fantastic business folks and, and do a lot, <laughs> do all that on the back end. Mm-hmm. So next time you throw a party, we're invited. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. I think talking about all of this and as lawyers, disclaimers are our bread and butter for mm-hmm. every, every piece of advice, you mm-hmm. know, we say depends or subject to these assumptions. And I think it's important when we talk about transitions to put a couple disclaimers on mine. Being able to take up to nine months off definitely comes from a place of privilege and a lot of people don't have that opportunity. So I want to be very clear in talking about my own experience that there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. Maybe a good analogy is when you see people buying homes in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Under the hood, there's usually some sort of assistance or help or something else. And if you just see people doing it and you look around, well, why can't I do that? Mm -hmm. So that understanding that context, I think that it's hard when you're struggling with those same scenarios of whether you want to or can take a break. And, And so... Those are my legal disclaimers. Yeah. On, on anything that comes out of this conversation today. Yeah. I love that recharging and taking a break is so important. I did have another follow-up question, it's kind of random and out of the blue, but when you take an extended break like that, I'm curious with respect to practice fees and your lawyer insurance, right? So do you transition into non-practicing status at that time? Like, do you remember what you did with those fee arrangements or did you kind of just like let it keep running and keep billing as you were taking some time off? Good question. I transitioned to non-practicing. Mm-hmm. You know, I looked it up and realized that and I don't remember the exact details, but after a certain number of years mm-hmm. staying non-practicing, you have to write the bar again. And so that was in my head. At some point, I should probably go back to law if I want to stay being a lawyer because I don't want to do PLTC again. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it was at least a couple of years, though. But yeah, short answer, I went non-practicing. Okay. It was relatively easy. Okay. And then when you were ready to go back into practice, it was relatively easy to transition back into full-time practicing status? Completely. And I want to plug here that as a non-practicing lawyer, access pro bono still allows you to work at their summary clinics and covers you under their insurance. And so for anybody mm-hmm. who is taking some time off, if you still want to help out and, and participate, and especially if you have more time, that's something that I did. Not a lot, but a little bit during my time off was I continued to volunteer with Access Pro Bono at their summary clinics. Oh, what, what's the volunteer work at Access Pro Bono like? It's a mixed bag. <laughs> <laughs> I think overall, the organization does awesome work. and. They work really hard to make it easy for lawyers to participate. An example of that would be at Port of Law, we now run our own employment law summary clinic on a monthly basis through Access Pro Bono. And so one of our goals was to set up our own pro bono clinic, but instead being one of their clinics makes it super easy for us because they do all the administration, the intake. But ultimately, life happens, and chances are if you're needing to meet with a lawyer, especially about kind of work or housing-related things, there's a lot of things going on in your life and you may not show up for meetings. And so we probably have about a 70% attendance rate at our clinic, which we do by phone. And so sometimes I'd say that's a challenge and that's really outside of everybody's control. But otherwise, I definitely enjoy it. And, and even if it's in a limited summary capacity, advice provides an opportunity to give a bit of our time and, and help people who need it. Mm-hmm. And how often are these clinics held by phone? 
we run ours once a month, but I think if anyone's interested, they'll take you as many days as you, as you want. <laughs> okay, so it seems like it's pretty flexible and it's subject to your availability and your capacity. Exactly. They do a great job in making it easy for us. Awesome. So can you tell us about your decision to pivot into employment law after exclusively having worked at a national full-service firm? Like many lawyers, it was really a product of circumstance more than anything. I had a friend at the time who's still there who works at MEP Business Council who loves her job with a capital L and, and not a lot of lawyers do that. And at the time, there was a senior employment counsel who was working at her firm who needed a junior. And so kind of the opportunity to work with good people and in an area where I thought I had some interest. I had done a little bit of employment law on the litigation side and I think I found out that I'm not as academic in terms of high <laughs> level too. of litigation as I thought I might be. On my last day at Blake's, I actually, they had let me go to the Court of Appeal on a pro bono file and got grilled by those judges and boy, are they smart. And, and I think employment law, as I understood it, was you know, very people driven mm-hmm. and the law is not super complicated, but people are. And having the opportunity to work in a smaller firm environment seems like a good transition step and and I'm very fortunate that I was able to do that and got some incredible mentorship by the senior employment counsel there who turned me into an employment lawyer. So James, what do you like about employment law or what is the practice of employment law like? It depends on where you work. Employment law can be a little bit different and so for listeners who aren't familiar with employment law as workplace law, you normally are representing either the businesses or the employers, and that is a lot of advisory work in terms of compliance with the different pieces of legislation, whether it's the Employment Standards Act, workplace safety, human rights, a lot of live workplace issues that arise and how employers and business can handle them. There's a transaction side of it, and of course dealing with disputes when employees ultimately sue, sue employers. On the employee side, it's advising often on you know, issues which are usually terminations or human rights concerns or workplace safety concerns. Sometimes employers aren't complying with obligations under the Employment Standards Act, which sets out all the minimum requirements and kind of the basic rights that employees have in the province. And so normally you have firms that either do one or the other. And our practice, we are currently straddling both. And so we work with both workers and small to mid-sized businesses. And I really enjoy that variety, being on both sides. And so what I enjoy about employment law is that day-to-day problem solving that I can do in a practical context. It's something that I can identify with being in a workplace myself, and often the solutions are pretty immediate. And so it's nice to be able to action things and then get results. That would be an excellent interview answer to the question of why do you want to practice employment law? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think as an area of law where as a relatively mid-level lawyer, you're able to perhaps take on more work than other areas of law. So I don't know if I love being a lawyer, and I think I'm okay saying that on a podcast because it's important for people to hear that, that you can be a lawyer and not love it. But it's a practice that allows me at my stage to be involved in the type of practice that I am at Port of Law. So tell us what it's like working at Port of Law. You know, I really enjoy it. Port of Law was very much kind of my, at the time, last-ditch effort to say, if I'm going to make private practice work, 
this is what it's going to be. And so far, it's been awesome. We're a small team. There's five of us in total. And Aaron and Paula, who run the firm, have done an incredible job being courageous and changing how they want to run a business. And so some practical examples would be we don't do billable hour. So we're all flat fee and try to price everything in terms of value billing. That's a bit of an iterative process, but from a mindset shift, it has been huge for how I see my own time. If I can get something done more efficiently, that benefits me and the business and just spending more time on something kind of I've thrown just for the sake of doing so in billing and I've thrown that out the window and that's been really healthy for me. A big part of coming to the firm was aligning my values with the work that I was doing. When the firm performed, they formed as a benefit company and have recently been certified as a B Corp it's essentially just a stamp of corporate social approval and there's a bit of a, there's a report card and, and you get reassessed and the idea is that you have to be walking the walk, so to speak. And so it's a great combination of trying to do meaningful work and, and at the same time leveraging the firm to do things that we think are important. And so, for example, right now through another nonprofit that we've partnered with, we have a guest Ukrainian lawyer who was forced to, to leave Ukraine not too long ago. And so he's with us for a couple months as he integrates back into life and we're working together to try to help him do that. And, and as a lawyer who was running his own practice in Ukraine, he's able to provide a lot of great value and input in terms of running the business and just generally how to approach our practice. Apart from, of course, everyone on the team being awesome and really great to work with. Yeah, so great people and great initiatives. So sounds like Port of Law is an awesome place to be. Speaking of your career path, in recent years, we've seen more people switch work environments as opposed to our previous generations like mom and dad, where they would enjoy maybe like a 20 to 30 year career with the exact same employer. So I'm curious if you've had interviews where you had to handle the question of being asked by prospective employers of why did you decide to leave each firm? Do you find that there's still a stigma associated with working at multiple places in a short term of time? I'm curious to hear about like what your job search process has been like the last couple of years. Ooh, good question. Yeah. We're all trying to find our way and find fulfillment in the work that we do. And I think it can be marketed as a positive trait where before it maybe didn't look great to be bouncing around. And now I think there's a recognition that it takes a bit of courage to make a change. Mm -hmm. And that as people are seeing more people make changes, those thoughts are kind of bubbling up in their own heads and they're thinking about it and they're wrestling internally with, why can't I move? And there's lots of reasons to stay. Not to say that staying isn't courageous. I think staying is often courageous as well and deciding to make it work where you are. But I really think that there's been a general shift as a product of, in particular, COVID amongst and other social factors that really wasn't a barrier or poses a question in a negative way to me. I think that was an excellent answer. Now that your term has concluded with Faco BC as a board member, what are your latest endeavors and next steps? Ooh, good question. I think participation in FACL takes a lot of time and it's very volunteer intensive. I think that's really what makes it such an incredible organization because when individuals put in that much time, the scale of projects that could be completed, it's huge. And 
I think everyone who's listening to this podcast probably has some familiarity with all the great work that Fackel's done and continues to do. Now, I think I still need to assess whether I have the time and capacity to take on a major leadership role again. I know that the organization is in good hands with Fiona, um, <laughs> but I would like in the interim to increase my participation at all the wonderful events that are happening all the time and getting these great emails with all sorts of cool stuff and, and really being a more active part of the community is definitely on my priority list. That's a great way to put it. And that segues into another question that I had. So I noticed that on your firm website bio, you said that your delivery of legal services should be guided by three H's. We'll come back to the three H's later. But my question right now is there was a fourth H that wasn't part of the three H's and that stands for happiness. So if we were to ask you, James, like what are some ways in which you stay happy currently? (laughs) It's always kind of embarrassing thinking about what you put on your profile and then having it come back up in the <laughs> podcast. Like, Did I really put that there? And a big part of working at Port of Law has been setting healthy boundaries between the amount of time that I'm working and not working. And so before where it was very normal for me, and this is definitely earlier on in my career, we're kind of working late into the night or on weekends. You know, currently I try to keep my evenings and weekends free, especially weekends relatively sacred. I try to get active and and my partner quite the badass sportswoman and so I'm usually spending time trying to keep up with her on this mountain skiing or mountain biking in the spring and summer. I do enjoy playing a bit of tennis and then otherwise a big thing I think for this year is just working on really maintaining and, and growing existing relationships. Mm -hmm. I think life gets so busy and and there's so many people that would like to see more often. Mm -hmm. And so one of my personal goals and what keeps me happy is connecting. And so trying to do a better job of seeing more people and and having meaningful connections. Yeah. And that would tie in really nicely with your skill to throw parties. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. I can tell you that one thing I'm doing that is making me questionably happy, maybe it's type two fun, is that I've been taking beginner Mandarin. (laughs) (laughs) It's always tough when you start. And have you been using like Duolingo or how have you been practicing your Mandarin skills? I go once a week to Langara for a night class with a bunch (laughs) of other adults who are in a similar boat. And we speak horribly to each other. (laughs) So why Mandarin? Why did you choose that language? The truth is my partner signed up first. And while I was on break, so I really don't have much of an excuse... I decided last minute that I wasn't going to do it. And so she's actually a class ahead of me. But once she was in level two, I thought to myself, I should probably get into level one or be left behind. Jokes aside, I think on a personal level, language is such an important connection to culture. And not being able to speak Mandarin, definitely, I think there's probably a little bit of shame around that, as well as feeling disconnected. And Mm. so I think it was a combination of peer pressure and normally when my partner decides on things they're usually good ideas (laughs) hopefully it opened up a bit more connection to culture is definitely one of the goals Mm -hmm. for sure yeah I think having a second language or an additional language is always a great skill to have in the back pocket if anything, I think it takes a lot of courage, not just in switching jobs, but also in picking up additional language skills. Because in order to do that, you have to not be afraid to make mistakes. And mm-hmm. I struggle with Mandarin. Like, I don't speak Mandarin. <laughs> and so I really admire that you're doing that outside of your work and on your own free time and trying to pick up that second language or additional language. So. <laughs> I love that. 
We could go back to the three H's. Again, something else that caught my eye when I was reviewing your firm website. You said that the delivery of legal services should be guided by the three H's. So happy was the fourth one. We've already covered that one. The other three were helpful, honest, and a human approach. And so if you can, can you share with us how you practice these guiding principles each day and how you came up with those three H's? Definitely. And I'm here just to make sure that I remember what the three H's are. (laughs) But the first one is helpful. And ultimately, your clients come to you for advice. And we like to think of ourselves as problem solvers. And if that's what we're going to do, you would hope that we solve problems in helpful ways. For a lot of our clients who are either smaller businesses or individuals, there's often a financial constraint in terms of seeking legal advice. And so part of being helpful necessarily requires us to be practical and to understand the specific circumstance of each of our clients and and what they really need. So part of being helpful is keeping that in mind when providing advice and, and understand our role as advocates. And I think beyond that, Part of how I see my relationship with a lot of my clients is really being their first stop for legal advice, even for things that are outside of my expertise, and being able to connect them with other lawyers and navigate the legal market or push them in the right direction, even if I'm not able to advise, is another way where I think that lawyers are uniquely situated to be helpful. So I think both in terms of actual practice and then any additional types of assistance you have to provide to your clients. Mm-hmm. Honest. I should hope this one is <laughs> is apparent and self-explanatory. Yeah. Also pursuant to the law society rules. <laughs> exactly. You know, part of what my learning is, is is being honest with yourself in terms of what your capabilities are, what your boundaries are, and if the goal is to provide the best legal services that you can to your clients, understanding when you might need help and being upfront with them about that and understanding that. And so I think that is probably an extra level of honesty that is definitely an area of continued learning on top of, of course, being honest. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. I'll let you take it away with human approach. (laughs) Yeah, no, I would hope that this one is kind of self-explanatory as well. But employment law, for those who don't know, deals with workplace issues. And on the employee side, it's everything from hiring during your employment relationship to your employment relationship ending and and the same thing on the employer side and someone's job is so integral to their identity maybe that's a topic for another (laughs) podcast on how we all deal with that and how we struggle with that at least in my experience it's a fact that people's jobs is very integral to how they see themselves and so recognizing that in the work that we do I think that's a big part of our human approach and Mm -hmm. understanding that sometimes the law doesn't necessarily align with our needs and trying to find solutions that balance those two things. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, at one point a client told me that they appreciated that we were not the robots that they thought lawyers were (laughs) and they were real people. So I think that was good feedback that we're at least taking a human approach. To wrap this episode up, we've all received some good advice and and mentorship and guidance from people who are both in and outside of FACL. So James, if we were to turn it over to you, what words of advice would you have for any of our junior lawyers or students who are either thinking about taking that break or even just in general with the practice of law? Like, is there any specific advice that you'd give to our listeners today? I do have some advice. I think before I pass on that advice, 
I would like to say that going back to the opportunities that provided me the opportunity to take a break is that I was at a stage of my career where I felt I had done just enough to take that time off in terms of skill building. And I definitely am an advocate for spending your first few years as a junior lawyer learning and building that foundation to then provide you the tools to figuratively throw your own party wherever you want to. So setting aside situations where for mental health reasons or other commitments someone needs to take time off, which they definitely should. I think I would challenge anyone who isn't feeling like they're getting the most of where they are right now and needing a change to think about if they do want to stay in law, that skill building time of their career, and it doesn't have to be in a legal role or a job. But I think that it definitely helps in terms of your earlier question about what were you doing while you're off. And also it probably provides some clarity into, is this actually what you want to be doing? Because the answer may be yes, it may be no, it may be some combination of, I want to do some version of this that I don't see. That was a very long disclaimer to a short answer of, if you want to take time off, definitely I'm a big proponent of it. If you're earlier on in your career, I think it would be helpful to think about how you are using that time. Well, at the same time, of course, if the goal is to take a break, you know, not putting that pressure on yourself. Yeah. That was probably the least helpful piece of advice no, that, that, that was, you can get out there. No, I think that was a great piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Well, I liked what you said about focus on building those skill sets, but also prioritize, take that break if your intention of taking this break is to actually take a break. But I like what you said about throw your own party. Yeah, so I think that's the theme for today's episode. <laughs> well, thank you very, very much for having me. This has been a lot of fun, and it's great chatting with both of you. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, James. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Fackle BC podcast. Visit our website at facklebc.ca and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at FackleBC. We hope you enjoyed our episode today and stay tuned for the next guest. If you have guest speaker suggestions, please email us at membership at facklebc.ca.